This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 15, with guest Claudia Botte. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's conversation. And today we're speaking about fashion. Claudia knows the fashion industry inside out. She worked with some of the best-known designers, Vivian Bestwood, Hussein Shalayan, and Isabel Marant. We spoke about Berlin finding its own fashion identity and the future of the industry, of course, and where uprising designers should focus on educating themselves before stepping into this vibrant world. Learn why Claudia is focusing on slow fashion and responsible manufacturing with her very own Berlin-based brand, La Bande Berlin. And if you enjoyed today's episode with Claudia Botte, don't forget to give the magical five stars on Apple Podcasts. Claudia, so great to finally meet you in person. I know you are in the midst of very busy and exciting times with your brand, La Bande Berlin. So thank you so much for finding time to come over. Oh, thank you so much, Daria. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. I feel so honored to be like part of um, this amazing initiative amongst so many inspiring women. Thank you so We're much. We're going to learn a lot from this episode, I know for <laughs> sure, in this conversation. And at the beginning of your career, you worked with Vivienne Westwood. Can you share some of the impressions of working with this punk fashion rebel who just <laughs> recently celebrated her 80th birthday? Actually, when I was working at Vivian Westwood, it was just part of an internship that I did with her. So I was only there for a couple of months, but it was a very influential uh, period in, you know, my whole journey and also as a designer because it really changed or shaped my vision about fashion and the industry quite a lot. It was really inspirational to work there. And at this point, at a very young age, as I was saying, I was still studying. It was an internship. I learned the lesson that, you know, I don't need to be good at everything. I need to just to understand my strength and um, feel confident in it and follow my strength. You know, just sharing one example, my job as an intern was just to sew one long line mm -hmm. for a belt of an old couture dress. So a very simple, easy task, to be honest, just like sewing one, two straight lines, basically. <laughs> and I, you know, tried a couple of times and, you know, I didn't manage. I'm not good at sewing at all, you know. And it was always getting a bit wonky. And, you know, they were saying, oh, God, no, she's like a complete failure. <laughs> you know, she cannot <laughs> sew. What shall we do with this girl? And then, you know, I um, they asked me to cut um, the paper patterns for the garments. And then while I was doing this, I noticed some kind of little mistakes where they placed the notches. And I felt like, okay, maybe I should mention that there were like, you know, some things with the notches. And then they, you know, realized, okay, she's probably like, better doing this stuff. And in the end, it turned out that I was working with the other designers on finalizing the patterns and drapings of, you know, two uh, haute couture dresses, which was amazing for me. And I had the chance to, you know, watch Vivian Westwood herself, you know, draping, working. And it was a great lesson for me to understand, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about not There's being the, good at everything. They will just be, feel confident in the things yeah, that... And there will be a potentially another path for you. You just exactly. have to be very open to that opportunity. Exactly. You have other really impressive names and, and designers with whom you have worked. One of which is Hussein Shalayan. 
All of his work is extremely architectural, very futuristic. How is it like working with him for you, Claudia? And how has his kind of futuristic fashion influenced you? Happy that I was so courageous at, you know, after my uh, finishing my diploma, I had some job opportunities for like more mass market, big names in Germany. And I was like, okay, shall I go for this now? Oh, no, I felt like, no, come on, let's just go abroad again. I want to, you know, gain more creative experience. I want to do another internship. And, you know, I can do this later, <laughs> this this kind of serious, you know, big brands, uh, designers job. So I um, applied, I booked a ticket, um, which was like 200 euros at that time to fly all around Europe for two months. And I applied for internships like in Paris and in Holland, in Italy, uh, in the UK. And um, I had the chance to see so many houses and in the end, I decided to do an internship for Hussein uh, Shalayan because, as you said, like he's he was and he still is like one for me, like the big genius in the fashion world, like a truly creative person, like I think one of the last real avant-garde designers that still exists nowadays. And it was a great experience to work uh, with his team for the six month of internship. And I was like, absolutely over the moon when after this six months, he asked me to stay and uh, to take on the role as his assistant. And because this was like the best start for me in my career, because I had the chance in such a small team to really be involved in, you know, all small aspects of the fashion business. And not only design, but also, you know, working on all the super creative special projects that he was involved in, like, you know, in exhibitions that he did like all around the world and, you know, designing also accessories and so on. It was really like a great period. And I was, I think, nearly over five years there and um, had really like a great start. And now that you look back, like how has it influenced you, this very futuristic avant-garde fashion yeah, I think how it influenced me, I was like, I don't know, I think like being in such a small team and involved in all aspects, I learned quite well, like how to <laughs> multitask things and how to manage things and that you can also do like big things in just a short time. And because, you know, we had to be efficient and, and everything and also like his way of creativity, like really conceptual, really starting from the idea, from the concept, from the storytelling of of a collection was quite influential for me. I really noticed this when I, after this, I moved to Paris, where I started being responsible for the um, line Etoile for Isabelle Maron. Creative process was kind of opposite to each other. You know, while Isabelle Maron, she was like more starting the creative process from from the feeling of a garment, you know, starting from the fabric, starting from the garment itself, the styling of it. She was always wearing, constantly trying on the pieces herself, styling them, wearing them, feeling the fabric. Hussein's approach was always more from a conceptual storytelling point of view. And I think this kind of mix of these two together influenced, gave me like a really broad perspective of the creative process and how to start a collection or how on the creative process itself. So fast forward to 2015, and then you transition to your work as head of design at Liebeskind and also afterwards Lala Berlin. 
And I would like to hear your opinion. I mean, first of all, why did you decide to come back to Berlin really at that time? <laughs> and how was it for you to be working in this now Berlin fashion scene after that experience with London and Paris? The reason why I moved back to Germany was honestly because of my now husband, because uh, we had like five years long distance relationship. And, you know, when I was approached for this job at Liebeskind, um, I felt like, you know, there are not that many chances in Germany at all. So I should go for it because the fashion industry in Germany is not as big as, you know, as there is abroad, or at least it's not as big on this special field of high-end market that I was working in. And I think this is also the big comparison to uh, the big difference from Berlin to, let's say, London or Paris. Because in Paris, when you see France, the main capital of fashion is definitely Paris, because like it has this long heritage of uh, fashion brands that started there like ages ago, you know, and all the fashion brands are actually based in Paris. Um, just a few others are outside. But the same in London, you know, um, in the UK, London is a hotspot of fashion. There are, of course, like some other brands in, and brands in other cities, but especially for this whole creative scene, they're all based in um, London. And in Germany, in comparison to this, all the big brands, the big fair German fashion brands, they're all like in small villages, somewhere in the southern Germany, like or in the midst of Germany. Like they're really, there's not you know, this kind of big cities that gathers all these big brands together, like in comparison to London or Paris. That's why it also is difficult for Berlin to kind of get the reputation of like a fashion city, because Berlin needs to define its role in the fashion world itself and to kind of make its own reputation. It needs to define itself, its own identity in the fashion I, I'm, world. I'm, I but I also feel it surely has already that identity. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, in comparison to Paris and London, everything is like well established. It's really hard to get into that. But also like all the big fashion press or houses or whatsoever, they go to these kind of really well established fashion weeks because, you know, that's where you see most of the brands. And for Berlin, I think it was always a struggle to get into this. And now also all the fairs. They kind of move away from Berlin. They now move to Frankfurt. And, you know, it's it's getting more and more difficult for Berlin. And then, you know, lots of people from the industry, they always said, oh, okay, Berlin Fashion Week is always there for partying. And, you know, you always see like, you know, some celebrities in the front rows, you know, but it's not really interesting in terms of business for for the fashion industry. It's more about partying and not about actual business. But I think... Berlin should really define itself, its own identity in the fashion world. And I think there's a massive chance that you see Berlin really as a hotspot for startups in the tech scene, in the new digital age. And I think now that everything in the fashion industry is also shifting to the digital world, I think there's a massive chance for Berlin also to create a new vibe for this consumers increasingly prefer now to the convenience and the speed of online shopping. And I think the fashion industry should really use this alongside with new technologies uh, in order, which maybe first of all, you think, okay, this is like uh, the killer for creativism, but I think it's not, there's like a massive chance in it. 
you know, for example, now due to digital analysis, you can go much more into analyzing what the customers exactly need and what they want. And you can create your collections based on this analysis. And, you know, as I said previously, you know, some brands were nearly creating up to eight collections a year, you know, mass market brands, even much more. And now they go back to uh, only working on two collections a year, but, you know, being much more focused on what they actually, what the customer needs and what they want. And I think this is also in terms of sustainability, a massive step for it. And you can much more also then manufacture on demand and use 3D data in order to be much more efficient in this. Just for example, now at La Bonne Berlin, my own um, brand, just to give you one example, I um, created every garment that I made as a 3D, not avatars, but 3D images. And I used them alongside social media to kind of get in conversation with my customers before saying like, the white like pants, would you prefer them with a less elastic waistband or more with pleats and a classic waistband? So I could really understand before investing too much into prototypes or into samples, I could already understand much better what the customer actually is looking for. And now I'm on a pre-order period of my collection and I have all these avatars on my uh, website and probably you wouldn't notice that they are not real. Of course, I had like a photo shooting with like real models as well, but all the color ups, like all these kind of images of the actual garments, they are 3D simulations. Now I can only see, already see from the pre-orders and from the clicking rates what my customer wants, which are their preferred colors, what are their preferred shapes, what the preferred styles, the um, sizes they are looking for, and so on. And then when I'm starting the production, which will be in two weeks, I then know exactly what I want to produce and I can produce on demand. So I use new technology, like, for example, with these 3D avatars who can convert the patterns, digital patterns directly into garments but also next to social media and new technologies in order to be much more sustainable in my process, not investing too much into the sampling process and also to kind of convert how the fashion industry usually worked before. And it was always, you know, you created collections with so-and-so styles and, you know, you always had to create like this new fresh image in the shops and then later on, when all the sites didn't sell out, you have to go into sales period and you have to, I don't want to say you want to, have to throw out the, the garments for like a less price, which is a shame, I think, if you can much more investigate beforehand what the customer wants. And you, you know, now in this pre-order phase, I give my clients uh, a discount of 30% at the beginning. So I can get the data from them. I can understand what they want. I can understand which shapes they are ordering, which colors they prefer uh, in order to be much more efficient in the production. So this whole thing is one point which I see is, you know, part of the future of fashion. But also I think not even after this pandemic and all of us staying at home for now far too long, I think it will stay in a way from the trend that, you know, the clothes will stay much more 
simple and comfortable as it were before. So, and with that said, like, what will happen to all those brands? In your opinion, then, will these fashion houses survive in today's world? Or what you're saying is that they will turn into a form of museum and more convenient, more targeted, more simplified, new, younger fashion houses will enter the market. For haute couture, which is uh, was always like a really, really niche in the fashion sector, I think it will stay as prominent as it is because The, if the only sector of the fashion industry that prioritizes limited quantities over most ma mass production, authenticity over trends and handmade craftsmanships as opposed to industrial manufactured garments, this was already the case in the old couture. This was already there. So they are already on a level. And I think old couture kind of always inspired people. They're always, you know, was always really accessible only for a really niche market but i think it inspires a lot of people and inspires you know it was the more whole like industry. A, it was more like entertainment right in a yeah. way inspirational point when it comes to ready to wear which was mostly the market that i mostly worked in i think they also need to be open to you know to kind of a new change to don't stay with their old habits and always you know redefine themselves as fashion houses but i think that Lots of people already do. I see like big fashion houses. They are now doing all the fashion shows in a digital way. There are like some really creative houses. They are already showing their garments on 3D avatars, you know, and it's really great that, you know, this kind of situation also pushes people out of their comfort zone and kind of, I think it's always great when things like this bring up people to develop new ideas, to tickle their creativity, you know, <laughs> like to, to bring up new ideas. I like and that. I like that. It's a German saying. And also with that said, you know, how has the level of skill in cutting and sewing has changed in the last years? And you were a lecturer in a few universities. How do, important is education in the fashion industry and how relevant it will stay as we also go forward? I also worked in all the fashion houses I worked at. I worked a lot with also interns that, you know, during their studies, they kind of did some internship in these fashion houses. I always noticed that, you know, same as I was when I just came from university, I didn't have like much knowledge of like the f real fashion industry. I think, you know, most fashion universities, they kind of create this whole bubble around, you know, the fashion scene. They kind of teach their students to work in really kind of a bit old-fashioned, nostalgic ways. They teach them how to, to drape, to be fully creative, to follow their vision as a designer. And I think it's great. I think that's also what they should do because, like, this is the best place for them to kind of explore this. And it's extremely important. But next to creativism, there's also another side, which is hugely important for the students to understand, which are mostly like the processes, which are, you know, all the different departments that you need to work with, with which is sourcing, production. And I think you can only be like a really good designer when you have a kind of understanding of also the struggles of the departments next to you, you know, why is it not possible to have like so and so many buttons on your shirt, because it's getting expensive. And I think people should be aware that 
there's also like another side to this. Creativity is important, but it's not all. And as a designer, you should also be aware of the other side parts of uh, what, the fashion what are, what are those departments that you're speaking about? Like, for example, um, you know, when you study, it's for most fashion universities, it's mostly important to have like this, you know, massive student fashion show at the end of the year. And they're all pushed to make like the most loud, creative, shouting, provocative garments, which is great. <laughs> I don't want to say like there's any harm on this. But uh, there's also like another side of this, which is as a designer, you sometimes you get like a collection plan, which you need to follow, where you have to say, I need to do so and so many dresses, so many length in this one, so many t-shirts, so many sweatshirts and so on. And this is the case, not only for mid-range fashion brands or mass market brands. This is also the case for really high-end, super creative fashion houses. So this is basically everywhere you find like these types of tools that you would need to work with. I think the students should learn, you know, when they have this type of plans, you know, how do I go into this? Like, how can I curate a collection? How can I ensure that everything has like a red thread from the look of it through it? How can I manage that I uh, integrate certain pieces without Uh, losing the overall look and feel of the collection. This is as important as the design of every single piece. But also you need to understand the other departments which work alongside the design, like saying sourcing, production, but also marketing press, the whole finance part of this. You need to be a bit aware. I think they should all know a bit of everything in order also to be, be much more successful as a designer. Absolutely. And then, as we said, understanding those processes, you also become more aware of production costs, sustainability, supply chain, and somehow then you understand more about that whole process from the beginning until the end and take it with more responsibility. I think that's also a very important lesson as, as we go forward in the fashion industry. And Claudia, as I would like to transition more and speak about your own brand, uh, La Bande Berlin, mm -hmm. and ask you, why did you decide to start your own brand? After all this, I started creating a mix and match collection of nine really timeless and essential pieces that can be combined amongst each others of pure silk in eight different colors. And you can then, you know, always combine them in different ways. Like, for example, you can combine the camisole with a skirt and you have dress star, but you can also wear it with some white leg pants and you have a kind of jumpsuit, suit look. But then you can also change the top with like a shirt and you have a long sleeve version of it. Can you share a little bit what are the values that your brand carries? I think for me, when you always say like sustainability is like, it's just self-evident in the fashion industry, like right now, but lots of companies, they're struggling to get out of this circle of, you know, they need to produce every season a high amount of new garments in order to fill the shops with their new stuff. And it's really difficult to get out of this. 
But my approach was more on a kind of minimalistic approach that you don't need that much stuff and you don't need always, you just need a, a small number of really essential garments that can integrate really well in your wardrobe, but, you know, also that can create just in the small number of stars, you can create a variety of looks. Is this what's called slow fashion? Yes, it's also part of slow fashion. My vision of slow fashion for La Bonne Berlin is that I'm not going to create every three months a new drop, a new collection. I will continue these styles. I see them also like being within the collection for the next time coming. And I just want to add new styles that feel relevant, that I understand that my customers want. You know, just starting from this collection, I understand already now that lots of people are requesting a nice suit or a nice knitwear piece to wear alongside these stars. So I understand, okay, that's the need of my clients. So and then I start looking into this and then I start developing it. And then I add it to this kind of essential uh, collections, this essential wardrobe of silk pieces. These are some really great insights. Claudia, thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> and the question, probably you know, that I like to ask because you listen to the few episodes. <laughs> and I love, love asking this question. Could you please give a spotlight to a woman who you would say is an author of her own achievements and why you named her specifically. <laughs> yes, Daria, I thought about this, um, you know, during the last days and it was like sticking in my head. And, you know, every day I was thinking of so many, so many inspirational women, you know, that are mad, but also lots of famous people, politicians, activists, scientists, you know, there are so many women that I find like so highly inspirational from their story, from how they shape the world nowadays. But then every day when I was thinking about it, I saw much more the inspiration in the women around me. <laughs> It's the same like when you ask a designer, who's your muse, you know, who's the person that drives your creativism. I also find always this like so hard to answer because I'm inspired so much by the women around me. And this is not like one specific person I could name here. This is really just happening in the really small details. I'm really inspired by the woman who has like two jobs and a weekend job as handles, you know, two kids at home, be a, manages all of this. And all these women, you know, that are not famous for a specific reason or something that they push. But I think like every woman is struggling always to keep the balance of, you know, being a mother, having their own career. And I think there's so many, I'm really inspired by the strongness of women, their loyalness, of their honesty and their authenticity. This is what really inspires me, not only in my creativity, but also for me as a person that I can learn from every small story. And this is not only from all these famous people that come in my mind right now. This is mostly I'm really inspired by the small stories. Claudia, thank you so much for today's conversation. It was so insightful and learning about your journey and in the fashion world and learning how you found your voice, how you found your place the people you worked with. And the most what I'm amazed is how working with such famous people, you're extremely humble and 
very approachable and sharing your story so openly and, and I'm very thankful to that. Oh, thank you for this. It's really, it's really nice to hear. And it's uh, really emotional for me that you say this because I was so inspired of listening to other women and what they said. And I'm so, as I said at the beginning, I'm so honored to be part of this. So thank you so much for this great chance. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. <laughs>